Welcome to SLU Law Summations, presenting brief looks at legal matters that matter to you by St. Louis University School of Law, located in the heart of downtown St. Louis. The Second Amendment was a point of contention on the 2016 campaign trail and continues to be a hot topic in today's legislature. Recently, Missouri lawmakers expanded gun rights in the state, including conceal and carry laws. I'm Corey Dugas, and today we're joined by Anders Walker, the Lily Myers Professor of Law. Professor Walker is a criminal and constitutional law expert. Thank you for joining us so much today, Anders. It's great to be here. Can you kick this off by talking a little bit about the history of the Second Amendment in Missouri? Sure. So uh, the Second Amendment has not received a lot of attention uh, historically. It's been relatively recent that the Second Amendment has become a headline topic. That's largely because of a Supreme Court case decided in 2010 called McDonald versus Chicago that applied the Second Amendment to the states. That means that states prior to 2010 were free to regulate guns however they saw fit. Uh, in Missouri, we had and still have a state constitutional right to bear arms. Uh, in 2010, this protected the right of every citizen to keep and bear arms in defense of home, person, and property, but did not extend to the wearing or, of, or carrying of concealed weapons. In 2003, we provided for concealed carry so long as citizens acquired a permit. In 2011, we lowered the age of concealed carry from 23 to 21. So in 2010, there was a new um, provision in federal law. The Supreme Court incorporated the Second Amendment to the states, which means that now you can sue in federal court if a state or municipality regulates guns. Before you had to sue in state court under the Missouri State Constitution. Okay. So we saw some of these relatively recent changes, but this last fall there was even more recent changes in legislation. So how has that changed? Okay, so we uh, recently, uh, beginning not just last fall but in 2014, started to really ramp up our state protection of the right to bear arms. So in 2014 we amended the state constitution uh, to protect not just the right to keep and bear arms, but also the right to keep and bear ammunition. And we deleted the restriction on concealed carry. We added language asserting that the right to keep and bear arms is unalienable, and any restriction on these rights shall be viewed through strict scrutiny. And this was a way to basically reinforce the right as a matter of state law under the state constitution. So we also passed a bill uh, over the governor's veto last year that prohibited law enforcement from disarming individuals who are carrying concealed or unconcealed firearms. So this is the provision that just came into effect now in January of this year, and it means that one no longer needs a permit to carry a concealed weapon. So this difference between disarming, what do police officers do instead? Um, is, is there any... Is there anything that they can do if they encounter someone with a gun um, that they feel that they would typically have disarmed? Is there anything else they're doing? So police can certainly disarm individuals who uh, they suspect or have a reasonable suspicion of being engaged in crime. Okay. They can still arrest people. They can stop and frisk. And so the idea is not to handcuff the police 
in terms of fighting crime, but if an officer does find somebody who's carrying a concealed weapon and they don't have a permit, at best now they can issue a citation, like so a So like a fine ticket. or a ticket, yeah. Right. And that is a, a problem. I think law enforcement uh, lobbied against this because police want guns off the streets. The guns are usually used in crime, and it does make things more dangerous for officers. So how do these changes really affect the everyday citizen? Well, so most citizens will probably not notice because most folks are going to have concealed weapons. Uh, it's rel there have been some open carry protests. The Oath Keepers uh, sponsored some of those. We saw them in Ferguson in 2014. But I think for the most part, we'll, we'll, we won't see anything, but more people will have guns. And so that includes people who are in restaurants and uh, public places that may have stickers on the door saying no guns. And so that may make things more dangerous. Uh, it may, though, have a uh, positive effect, and that is prior to this law, people who had guns would drive into uh, the city of St. Louis, and then they would leave their guns in their mm -hmm. vehicle so that they could go to see a movie, go to dinner, go to a game. And then uh, a lot of thefts from vehicle uh, revolved around guns, and guns were starting to circulate on the streets because people were leaving their guns in their vehicles. So now maybe people will keep their guns on them, and there won't be as many thefts. Mm -hmm. We do see a lot of those no gun stickers in different businesses. What do those actually mean legally? Well, so a private business could uh, ask a customer carrying a gun to leave as a matter of simple private property. It's not discrimination. But people now, I think, have less concern because they're not going to be disarmed. And at best, I mean, a restaurant might call the police, but at best they'll get a ticket. Mm -hmm. So I think people will now feel more comfortable carrying their guns into restaurants, mm -hmm. theaters. So things so like forth. that, it's, it's more of a recommendation now, and it's not necessarily enforceable? Right. Okay. That's right. Well, that clears that up a lot. So how does Missouri compare in their, their laws to other states and other regions? So this has been a trend uh, across the Midwest uh, and the South. So more than three-quarters of U.S. states have actually proposed nullification laws. These are laws that nullify federal gun laws. Um, more than half of those bills have come in the last few years, mainly after the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. So here's something that's a little counterintuitive. Mass shootings uh, have, in recent history, convinced gun owners that their guns might be in jeopardy. And so we've seen moves to protect gun rights after mass shootings. And I think the reasoning is that there's going to be public support for gun regulation. And so we need to circle the wagons, mm -hmm. those of us who have guns, and we need to kind of head this off at the pass. So Missouri's not alone, and in fact, we tried to pass a nullification law which declared federal gun regulations invalid in this state. That would have prompted a potential crisis if, for example, an FBI agent was stopped. Uh, there was some talk even of arresting federal agents. Wow. 
That violates the Supremacy Clause, which means the federal government is supreme. But there are other states that have passed these types of laws, and that could mean that state law enforcement just won't cooperate with the feds, and it does seem to be a trend, so we're not too unusual. Okay. So what do you see the future is holding for the Second Amendment in this state of Missouri? So I think it's very possible that we are going to enact one of these nullification laws. We're going to declare the federal regulations on automatic weapons to be invalid, the federal regulations on sawed-off shotguns and silencers to be invalid. And that could mean that there's going to be some problems with federal gun enforcement. We might have local law enforcement not cooperating with the FBI or ATF. And there may be some challenge in court. Uh, a state cannot constitutionally nullify federal law. But other states have done it. And it's also a symbolic move. So in 1988, we enacted a law that declared that life begins at the moment of conception. It's, it was a direct response to Roe versus Wade. Mm -hmm. It's a symbolic protest against the federal government's position. My guess is we might do something similar for the Second Amendment. So this nullification, you mentioned a couple of examples. You mentioned the sawed-off shotguns, the automatic weapons, the silencers. So those wouldn't, wouldn't be restricted in the state of Missouri. Is that sort of what other states are looking at, um, sort of the country as a whole? They're looking at state-by-state state nullifying these things? Right. So in Idaho, the legislature passed a law to keep any future federal gun measures from being enforced in the state. Mm -hmm. In Kansas, a law passed that said federal regulation does not apply to guns manufactured in the state. So if you're a gunsmith and you're making a silencer, then you're mm -hmm. good to go in Kansas. Uh, Wyoming, South Dakota, and Arizona have had laws protecting firearms freedom from the U.S. government since 2010. So bottom line, state law enforcement would not stop you from carrying a silencer. The feds still would, but they'd no longer have the cooperation that um, they enjoy right now with local police. Mm -hmm. So we've seen a big shift in the current political climate. What other constitutional rights beyond guns are we seeing that are being challenged? So what's happening is um, conservatives are starting to adopt the language of the civil rights movement. And conservatives are starting to frame their interests in terms of rights. So the way to think about the right to bear arms is that this is a conservative right. It's mainly folks on the left who are interested in the right to bear arms. And conservatives are interested in expanding the right, protecting the right. Another right that I think we are going to see uh, something similar happen is the freedom of exercise of religion. So the right of business owners not to comply with federal mandates that go against their religious mm -hmm. beliefs. And we've seen a little bit of that already. So you're just anticipating that that might pop up more often? That's right. Now, the other thing to keep in mind is a lot of the action on the Second Amendment and the First Amendment happened during the Obama administration. And one way to think about rights is rights are always exercised by the minority against the majority. The majority use the political process. The majority don't need to exercise constitutional rights against the majority. So you exercise your right because the legislature just tried to regulate you. 
Now that we have a conservative administration and a conservative Congress, we might see less of this rights talk because now we have conservatives and now maybe there's going to be less fear that the Trump administration is going to push for gun control. And I think Attorney General Sessions has already made some uh, noises about new uh, kind of things that the federal government is going to focus on. Marijuana is one. We might now see federal enforcement of marijuana mm -hmm. laws, and we might see the feds back down on guns. So you're imagining with these marijuana laws that the feds would go in and sort of override what is happening on the state, state level? Right, that's right. So states like Colorado and Washington have legalized marijuana. It's still criminal as a, a federal matter. And so the feds might now come in and close up some of these marijuana retailers. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting conversation uh, to discuss what's happening between the federal government and the state government. Is there anything else that you think our listeners might want to know about what's going on with the Second Amendment in Missouri? Well, I think that we will see more action. Uh, so just this session, the um, nullification law that was vetoed has been reintroduced. So stay tuned. My guess is it's going to um, come up for a vote <laughs> soon. Before we let you go today, Anders, I wanted to mention that you have a book that's coming out later this spring, and if you could just take a moment to tell us what's going on with that. Right, so I have a book coming out with Yale on diversity. It's a history of diversity through the lens of the Jim Crow South, and it's a cast of characters that include folks like Harper Lee, William Faulkner, Zora Neale Hurston, James Baldwin, all of whom argued that integration was bad for Southern culture. So this is an interesting topic, and I think it'll be really interesting reading. Um, we, I'm, we were really glad to have you on the show today, and we look forward to talking to you later this spring when the book comes out and can get a little more information about that. Thanks, Anders. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for SLU Law Summations. Produced by St. Louis University School of Law.